This is NFL.com's Coaches Show Podcast. 40 men together can't lose. This is why you lift all them weights. Everybody's grabbing out there. Nobody's got them. And now we're going. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam. Welcome to the Coaches Show Podcast. Brian Billick here with Steve Mariucci to recap opening week of the 2014 NFL season. Do the New England Patriots finally have competition in the AFC East? And is this the year Matt Ryan becomes elite? Speaking of Matty Ice, we talked to Falcons head coach Mike Smith coming off their big win over the Saints yesterday. Plus, Mooch and I tell our tales of playing against and losing to the great Peyton Manning. The Coaches Show Podcast starts now. Well, Steve, obviously a phenomenal first week in the NFL, but we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about what has been the breaking news all week long uh, in terms of the release and suspension of Ray Rice. Everybody's very well familiar with the circumstances and, and what went on between he and his wife and now with the release of the video of what went on in the elevator through TMZ and all the other things. You know, it, it, there's speculation, there's this, that, and the other, but let's. this is the Coaches Show podcast. Let's talk a little bit and give a little bit of a reference based on our history okay. about dealing with players and their personal lives. There's Obviously, this is an extreme, but, you know, you and I both dealt for years with players, that, and they have personal lives. They have yeah. births of babies and deaths of parents, and they have issues with siblings and any number of things. I mean, these guys, their personal lives don't shut down during the season. And, and during the season, when you're trying to get ready to, to win in a very competitive NFL, these types of things come up. Let's talk a little bit about how, as a head coach, we dealt with some of these issues. Yeah, Brian, that was well said because it's, it is more than coaching X's and O's for a couple hours a day on the field or in a meeting. It's more than that. And, and the longer you coach with some of these fellows, you get to be close personally. And that's, that's part of being a, a mentor, a coach, a teacher. So you get to know them, them personally, and, and you go through things with them, good and bad. And uh, sometimes like this, uh, when someone gets uh, in trouble with the law, um, it makes a very difficult situation on everybody involved. And 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 I, and I think the shocking thing when I woke up this morning, and and uh, obviously we all just learned about it this morning, right? Um, it was surprising because uh, many of us who know Ray Rice a little bit, you know, think he's a he, he's represented himself other than this incident, uh, in, in a real good fashion. And he's, he seemed to be a good kid, hard-working guy, a team player, all of those good things. So this, is, this has been shocking from day one uh, when it was reported uh, that there was some domestic violence and we saw the, a snippet of that video. And that well, brings – I'm this sorry, go ahead. video sheds a new light on it, right? It does. And, and I think the hard part is – and we can uh, appreciate this as coaches, this happens on so many levels. The first, there's a personal level. You have a personal relationship with these players. You go through the baptism of fire and the winning and the losing and the grinding through training camp, and you, you develop a relationship. You also have uh, a, a team and a community and a societal obligation that certainly no one would support anything of this nature. But then you also, at the end of the day, there's the business aspect of it, that you have to orchestrate this from the business side. And so I can imagine, and I think that the Ravens did the right thing uh, in, on all three levels. 
but that doesn't mean now that they've taken this action that on a personal level, I'd be very shocked if a Steve Bishotti uh, or a John Harbaugh or Ozzie Newsom don't then reach out to a Ray Rice because they've had to make the business decision of, of releasing him from the organization. But then reach out and say, but on a personal level, we're here to help you as much as we can because you do need help. This is going to be an issue for you. But just because we had to make this business decision doesn't mean we're abandoning you on a personal level. Yeah, and and I think when you look at the process of this business decision, you know, the team and the league initially tried to gather as much information, Brian, as it possibly could, sat down with Ray. I believe they even talked to his fiancée at the time, didn't they, and, and uh, got the story. And, and it came to, all right, it'll be a two-game suspension. We will welcome you back after that. Well, it seems now that he was less truthful than he should have been with the Ravens, with the NFL, uh, with the public. And I think that's, that's the most damning thing right now is that, that there were some things that uh, he probably hid and, and probably didn't disclose, like, like we just saw on the video. And, and uh, being truthful is something that we always ask, you know, uh, our friends, our team, our family, we, you know, to be truthful about what happened. We, we all make mistakes, and, and, uh, and, I, and I think that's the, that's the glaring thing. That was the determining factor for the Ravens being swift and saying, we're going to release you. Based yeah, on, yeah. And, know, and the, and the, the, conje- the conjecture that, the, the, the people, that people have in terms of, because the question has been raised, well, how has the league not seen this? How are the Ravens not aware like- of this? But I, I can't, and having been a part of that organization, and I, from a personal perspective, I can promise you that Steve Bishotti, Ozzie Newsom, John Harbaugh, Dick Cass, the president, had they seen this video before, there was no way, shape, or form that they would have tried to sweep that under the rug. Not right. take they, this action would have happened then if they had yeah. seen. And I got to believe well, it would have happened with the league too. Correct. I can't. You know, when when team, teams or leagues do investigation, there's very qualified people doing that. I'm, I'm a little surprised that all of this evidence didn't didn't rear its ugly head back then um, because like you said had it had it been shown to them um, they would have made these you know these decisions then and and uh, well here it is and uh, it's a huge story it's, it's a shame I, I feel I feel bad for everybody involved I, I, I feel a little disgusted I, I uh, we all do and um, you know um, and Ray Rice uh, he married that his fiance, and, and and I and I wish the best for them going forward. Uh, but this is really going to be a difficult time for them. Yeah, it is. Um, and and uh, and now, uh, you know, as di- as difficult that is, and we'll be talking about this for a long time. Uh, let's let's move. We don't mean to be mercenary about it, but let's okay. move on to the games. Let's move on because right. this was right. a heck of a day yesterday. And I got to tell you, uh, this was the first time in forty two years, Steve. You're you're used to it because you've been doing in such a great job on game day for all these years. But this is the first time in 42 years I wasn't on a sideline or at a game in one form or fashion, either as a player, as a coach, or doing games because I've been doing well, games. Well, what'd you do? What'd you do all day? Well, the great part was, and we, t- we had a chance to visit yesterday doing the game day live, I had a blast to sit and just watch all the – you've been doing it for a while, but just sit and watch all these games and get drawn into it. I, I had an absolute blast, and, and it started out right from the get-go with that Patriots-Dolphins game. You know, the Patriots – uh, looked like they were going to be in total control, but you got to give the Dolphins credit. Uh, beating the Patriots 33-20. to 20. Now, 
Patriots have has struggled in Miami before. I was sitting sure. with Heath, Heath uh, uh, Evans, who does the game day live with me, and he knows the circumstances real well. And he said, you know what? They struggle down there. And, uh, boy, you got to give the Dolphins credit because the Patriots, although, you know, once you get a block punt, we know we both know that nothing turns the game around quicker than a block punt. Miami gets right. a block punt. Tannehill takes them in for the score. And as typical, Tom Brady comes, turns right around and marches right down the field. And you figured, okay, that's that'll be enough of that. But, boy, you got to give the Dolphins credit for the way a new offensive coordinator, Bill Lazor, bringing in a new offense with Ryan Tannehill. They did a heck of a job against that New England defense. Well, what a game it was, and I, and I, uh, yeah, I hope you got used to uh, just being a couch potato on uh, Sundays there, Brian. You know, just sit down, relax, watch all the games, eat some nachos, and just enjoy it. Um, you were in a different part of the building if you got nachos than I did, because I didn't, I didn't get those nachos. <laughs> but, yeah, that game was one we were all watching, because you mentioned it. It's not been easy for Tom Brady down there. He was 6-6 six and six at Miami. You know, he usually crushes team, doesn't matter where you play. And uh, now he's 6-7, and seven, but then the, you know, the, the game got off to a start, uh, you know, where uh, New England took the lead, and it's 20 to nothing at halftime, and going, well, you know, these are, these are the Patriots that we're all predicting to be in the AFC Championship game against Denver Broncos. Well, all of a sudden, that Miami team, you know, and yeah, give Bill Lazor some credit uh, for utilizing his weapons. Finally, Mike Wallace is becoming a part of that game plan over there. He had a a seven catches and a touchdown. They ran the ball so well. That surprised me. 191 yards rushing. And then no Sean Marino, that great acquisition that they made in the, in the, in the off season from Denver, 130 yards, 134 yards rushing. That was great. But uh, as, as well as Bill Lazor and his offensive staff coached, you got to hand it to the defense. Yep. Come on, you shut out Tom Brady in the second half and stop the run, really, and sack him four times and cause a couple fumbles. Cameron Wake and the boys, they did a heck of a job on both sides of the ball. I think maybe maybe the weather had a little something to do with wearing down the Patriots, too. I don't know. It gets a little sticky down there, right? Well, you know what? Two things jumped out at me. One was exactly right. You think they missed Logan Mankins a little bit? Ouch. <laughs> and yeah. Cameron Wake wore out Sebastian Vollmer like he had stolen his lunch money. Uh, I mean, he and, and, and I was surprised that at some point when you when you find there's that kind of vulnerability, I mean, you got to chip with that back a little bit. You got to turn the line back that way. And, def- and yeah. defensively, New England, they seem to be playing a lot of zone. I mean, with this new backfield, they got uh, Revis back there and Brown. They just seemed like they were playing a lot more passive zone against a group of receivers. I know Mike Wallace is pretty good, but that they might have matched up a little bit better with. Yeah, and and uh, so there was surprises all the way around. It was certainly a tale of two halves, uh, where where uh, New England really you know kind of flexed their muscles early. Gronk scored a touchdown, and it was nice to see him back. But that second half was just totally dominated, every phase of the game by Miami. And you know Ryan Tannehill. You know we talk so much about these other quarterbacks. We talk a lot about Andrew Luck, which we should, RG3, which we should, and Russell Wilson, and all, all these other guys. Ryan Tannehill seems to be uh, kind of left over on the side, and he, he's just doing nothing but getting better and better and better, and he really looks like he belongs. Nothing special, 178 yards throwing the ball, and and uh, but I don't want to call him a game manager because that seems to have a negative connotation around here, but the guy's a winner. And he's a good player, and he's a good guy, and he's their leader going forward. And uh, and I just like the, the 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 type of team they've built over there with the offense, defense. They have a balance on at the run game and then the passing game, and 
like a team that just might really mix it up in that AFC East that's been dominated so long by the Patriots. Well, and that last that last bullet he threw to to uh, Mike Wallace was against Darrell Rivas was was fantastic. He was there and to make the play, and Mike that, Wallace fought him for the ball. Yeah, that kind of throw. Uh, well, let's let's transition to two other pretty good quarterbacks in a game that was spectacular game to watch. As is typical when the Saints and the Falcons get together, the last few years it has always come down to the last series to watch. Obviously, Drew Brees, who's a slam dunk Hall of Famer, and Matt Ryan. I mean, with their performance, and this was a career career performance for Matt Ryan does this I've got to believe that and we'll see how it goes from here as well but in that circumstance what he was able to do uh, this indeed has got to be pushing Matt Ryan towards that elite group does it not it does and you know Brian I went back there two years ago for the network and I I interviewed Matt Ryan and Tony Gonzalez on a little sit down you know what I mean and I asked Matt Ryan Ryan, uh, right to his face I said are you an elite quarterback and he answered it like we would expect him to answer it. You know, he's a smart guy and a Boston College kid and all of that stuff. He said, yes, I'd like to think I am. And, uh, you know, and I'll tell you why. He didn't, he didn't hesitate. And, and, uh, and then what happened is last year they had that tough year. In fact, this was early in last year when I did this. And then they had the tough year. His numbers weren't that far off. They were pretty good. Reasons. I've, I've thought he was an elite quarterback uh, for several years now. And did he prove it? Yeah, he proved it again. 448 yards passing, that's a franchise record. But, but you know, this, this kind of uh, this regional rivalry, the Saints-Falcons, always close, like you mentioned, but really the Saints usually come out on top. Drew Brees was 13-3 and against the Falcons as a Saint. 13-3, and Brian. And, and he's usually found a way to win it close. And the Falcons uh, found a way uh, to you know, not finish the game or whatever that is. Well, Matt Ryan finished this game, and it took him overtime. But I like the way he utilized all of his weapons, not just in the passing game with Julio back. Harry Duff and Hester contributed in, uh, in special teams in five catches. And then the run, they have four runners that, that help them too. So if they stay healthy, and I, uh, you know, not to deviate from Matt Ryan, but boy, they've lost their two starting tackles. How about that? Yeah, Sam the reshuffled Baker, right? offensive line to do what they did late in the game. They lost Sam Baker, their starting left tackle, during training camp, so they had to move Jake Matthews over there, and then he goes down. He so, goes down. Oh my God, we both know how difficult it is when and you're only probably carrying seven guys on the active day roster. <laughs> uh, that is such a scramble. I remember my first conversation with Matt Ryan when he was a rookie. I asked him if he was having any input in the game plan as he was moving along and learning as a quarterback. He said, Coach, as a rookie quarterback, you're like children. You're, you're to be seen and not heard. <laughs> so he, uh, he even he understood that then as well. So, And I will say I was a little surprised because I, uh, I went down and spent a couple days of training camp with them. Uh, I don't know that they had really planned on Devin Hester being that much a part of the offense, and he was a big part of what they did yesterday. Yeah, five catches and 99 yards and still return kicks, and that's one thing that the Bears were really unable to, to bring along with him. We all know he's a great return man. Um, he's going to break Deion Sanders' records in, in return touchdowns. But they never were able to get some good offensive, consistent input, uh, you know, output from him. But uh, if they can continue to use these four receivers, look out. And, the, you know, the other thing is, you know, the Saints, they're not going anywhere. That's a good football team if – 
Colston doesn't fumble in, in overtime, they've got a chance to win the darn thing. I really like this this new Brandon Cooks kid over there with the oh, Saints. Oh, boy, see team. the real deal? He's he's kind of taken up. Of course, the Saints lost um, Darren Sproles and, and Lance Moore last year, and they really, when they went out and got this Brandon Cooks, a lot of people thinking this guy could easily be the rookie offensive player of the year. Yeah, and uh, so these two teams aren't, you know, they're going to be around right till the very end. They're fighting for a playoff spot and winning that division, and, of course, that division changes guards every year. And so um, it's going to be fun to watch. Two, two great organizations led by two great head coaches with two great quarterbacks. Hey, it doesn't get any better than that. No. And, in fact, speaking of this game, uh, spe- of the Saints and Falcons game, I caught up with the Atlanta's head coach, Mike Smith, earlier. Let's take a listen. Well, we're thrilled to be joined by the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, Mike Smith. And as unbelievable as that game was, Coach Smith, this is kind of standard operating procedure with you and the, the New Orleans Saints, isn't it? Brian, it is. Uh, we've had a great rivalry uh, since we've got here, and most of the games come down to a, a field goal or a, you know, or a last-second touchdown. And uh, it was a great uh, game for the fans, and we were very fortunate to uh, make enough plays to get that win. When I was with you during the summer and had a chance to come down and watch you at training camp and the way you guys were working, of course, the buzzword is you wanted to be tougher. Well, this defines toughness, doesn't it? The mental and emotional toughness to come back against an opponent, the caliber, caliber of Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. I, I just uh, I can't imagine a better example of the toughness that you're advocating. Well, we were very resilient uh, yesterday in the ball game. There were a number of opportunities for us to uh, – uh, you know, pack it in, and we didn't. We were, uh, you know, we were very resilient, both physically and mentally. And I felt like uh, as the game wore on, we got stronger as a, as a football team. And that's a very good uh, defense that we faced yesterday. And I thought our offense did an outstanding job moving the football. What jumped out at me was Matt's use of all of his weapons. He went to Roddy. He went to Julio. He went to Harry Douglas. Josh Quez Rogers at the, near the end of the game in particular. He, he used everything in his bag. He did. I thought Matt had an outstanding game. We had five uh, uh, guys get over 50 yards uh, in receptions. Uh, so he was distributing the ball uh, you know, to all of our playmakers, and we've got some guys that deserve the opportunity to get the ball, and I thought Matt had his best game as an Atlanta Falcon. Defensively, you look at New Orleans, they have got, as we know, a lot of weapons. And Brandon Cooks, their draft choice, that kind of fills in now. They don't have Darren Sproles. They don't have Lance Moore. Obviously, Jimmy Graham, Marcus Colston on the outside. They ran the ball very well with Ingram and Pierre Thomas. They throw in Cook. Talk about the challenge defensively, not only for you when you play them again, but the entire league, of keeping up with Drew Brees and all the talent he has offensively. Oh, it is uh, a very dynamic uh, offense, uh, you know, led by Drew. And Drew knows where to go with the ball. Uh, Brandon Cooks is going to be a great player. Uh, he's going to be a guy that you're going to have to put extra resources on. And then, uh, you know, of course, Jimmy Graham creates matchup issues regardless of uh, of where they line him, if he's an inline tight end or out as a wide receiver. And uh, we made some adjustments at halftime, uh, and I thought that the coaches did a great job and the uh, players went out and executed there in the uh, first two drives of the second half. And uh, that really got us going for that uh, final push there in the fourth quarter in overtime. Talk about the challenge for you now as you take this team. That's obviously a huge win. Opener at home. 
in a division rivalry in the way that you did it, the emotional up and down. you got to let them enjoy the moment, but you now have to go on the road. Cincinnati, another team coming off a big divisional win, a team that has a great deal of talent, same way with obviously A.J. Green on the outside, Grisham and Eifert at tight end, uh, a Sanu in the slot. They, too, have a lot of weapons, and an Andy Dalton that, like uh, uh, Matt Ryan, brought his team from behind on a big emotional win against the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, it doesn't get any easier this uh, this week. Uh, the Bengals are playing outstanding football. They've been to the playoffs the last three years. One, uh, you know, that division that they're in with uh, with with Baltimore uh, is one of the most competitive divisions. And uh, I've been very impressed not only with their offense but what they can do defensively. Uh, they sh- they uh, dominated early on in that ball game against uh, you know a very good Baltimore Raven team. So. It's going to be a big challenge, and we're on to that as a, you know, as a coaching staff, and, and our players got in here early uh, for an early victory Monday, and I know that their focus is now on Cincinnati. It ought to be a heck of a ball game uh, on Sunday. Well, you and I have known each other a long, long time, and I gotta, if anybody needs evidence of what this coaching profession can do to you, your hair wasn't always that color. <laughs> no, it wasn't, Brian. <laughs> Um, it, 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 it will get you, and uh, games like that will uh, make you pull your hair out. Not only is it gray, but it's thinning. Yeah, I went the other way. I just pulled mine out. Yeah. You went. It's a distinguished gray, i got to tell you that. Coach, thanks so much, so much for your time. We really appreciate it. All right, Brian, good talking with you. Well, Mooch, something we're familiar with because we are on the back end of some of these games, but Peyton Manning became only the second player in the history of this league to beat every team in the National Football League in doing this yesterday, obviously, or on Monday or Sunday against the Indianapolis Colts. And and obviously all those years that was the one team he wasn't going to be able to beat because he was with the Colts for all that time. Let's talk about because we all we, – we face Peyton Manning. What, what are your – give me your favorite Peyton Manning story. Oh, boy. <laughs> I've got uh, I've got two favorite ones. Uh, they're uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. Okay, let's let's the most recent one when I was coaching the Lions in Detroit. You know they uh, usually have the Thanksgiving uh, game over there in Detroit, right? Well, he, here comes Peyton to town. I'm not kidding. He threw six touchdown passes against us, and I was I, I was just praying they would run the ball once in a while because we couldn't stop him. I mean, they, in fact, they, Tony Dungy took him out of the game at the end and uh, put in the other guy, and they just kind of finished the game. And I, when I went up to Tony, I said, hey, thanks. Thanks for, you know, geez, oh, Pete. It was, it was brutal. He was terrific. He set the record. Now he's since broke it. He, you know, guys are going to throw for more than six touchdowns in one game. But, boy, did he slice us up. But the other one that I remember, and I know everybody listening will remember this. So I'm taking my 49er team to Indianapolis. And we proceed to give him a thumping, all right? We intercepted him a few times, and we beat him pretty good. And so I was in uh, the, doing my, uh, you know, conf- my press conference afterward, and Jim Morris Sr. was in the other press conference room doing his uh, final wrap-up. And I could hear it through the hallway. Playoffs. Oh, so that was you guys. All right. That's giving a spanking, and the media was on him, and Jim was really frustrated. And so I want to take a little credit for that that soundbite that will last forever. Thank you very much. Well, you ought to get a little residual because he's made some money off that now. That shows up on a lot of beer commercials, and so you should get you should get a residual check from that. Hey, Brian, and to make it better. His son, Jim Moore, was my defensive coordinator. <laughs> so he put that licking on his dad. Well, that tells you that, that oh, hey, it's all great. business. How about you? 
Uh, you know what? The big the, and this is, comes after having played Peyton Manning. Of course, so many great games and, and facing him in the playoffs so many times. Uh, he beat my thirteen and three Baltimore Raven team, uh, and we were home in Baltimore that year. They made their Super Bowl run. We thought we were going to be on another Super Bowl run. And he comes in, and, and our defense really did a pretty good job. And we lost fifteen to ten. But one of the, it, to me, the biggest thing that comes out, I, I had one of Peyton's game when he was in Indianapolis when I was calling games. And I'm sitting and talking to him. And you know, we all know the intellect that, that Peyton Manning right. has and his, his recall. So we're sitting and talking. And he goes, uh, yeah, you, you, I remember that. You, you, we were playing you guys, and you mugged that little linebacker up over the guard. Our guard was uncovered. And then you snuck that safety down on the weak side, and you brought him off that weak side. And I'm going, when do we do that? He goes, it was six, seven years ago. Remember? I'm thinking, How many years ago? Was are that? you kidding me? Yeah. But he had that, he had that immediate recall to remember every sit. So it, you can see the challenge when you play Peyton Manning. What, what can you throw at Peyton Manning that he hasn't seen before on a football field? And that's part of the challenge in playing a Peyton Manning. Cause you got to change it up. If you sit in one thing, he's just going to slice you up like a, you know, Christmas Day turkey. So, uh, yeah. but and well deserved. And boy, they sure look good the other night. And 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 a little like Seattle, it's like everybody in the NFC and everybody in the AFC are going, "Hey, y'all, we we need to beat these guys because in the NFC, we ain't we ain't going through Seattle and get to the Super Bowl. And I'm not yeah. sure you can go through Denver. You you got to someone's got to beat these guys, so they got to go someplace else in these AFC. I know it, it looks it looks right now like we're on a collision course. I know it's early in the season, but it does look like a collision course for a rematch in the Super Bowl because those two teams that played in the Super Bowl both look very, very good so far. Well, let's, this is the coach's show, so let's, let's uh, we got some, some people licking their wounds, as you do every Monday after the season, after the game. Uh, Mooch, I'm going to let you be Jay Gruden. What, do you, what are you telling your, your, your uh, Washington Redskins team after uh, the loss that they had? Well, you know, he, and he lost to another rookie head coach, so uh, that Houston game, 17-6. to I think their concerns right now will lie a little bit on the offense, which, as you know, Jay Gruden uh, sort of acts as a head coach and a uh, offensive coordinator and quarterback mentor and all of that. I mean, he was brought in to try to smooth in the play of RG3 and that offense. Well, he's making changes to his version of the West Coast offense, and and uh, to be quite frank, they, they haven't looked very good in the preseason or, or against Houston, and and I think it's going to be a gradual thing. I, I don't think there's any there's any way it's going to just all of a sudden come together overnight um, because it's not, as you know, it's not just the quarterback that has to learn a new system. It's everybody in protections, terminology, timing, adjustments, all of that. And so he, he's got to handle that properly with RG3, and RG3 has to handle that properly too. I, I, I hope we never see a, an issue with quarterback and head coach in the media like we did with Mike Shanahan. That wasn't... That wasn't good for anybody. So, um, you know, it's going to be angry. we got a Thursday night game with uh, at Washington here in a couple of weeks, and I'm anxious to, to see uh, them up close and personal. But uh, they're off to a slow start. They've got to get the kinks out. They've got, to, they've got to be better in every phase of that. I remember Bill Walsh telling me once after I was frustrated a little bit, he goes, just keep doing what you're doing, but do it better. And, and you know Bill, and you, you know you wrote the book with him, and, and uh, just do it better. And I think that's what Jay Gruden has to do with the Redskins: do what they're doing, but just do it better. 
Yeah, and it, they, you know, when you looked at the game, you looked at the numbers, and it looked like he's operating out of the pocket. You know, that's the big thing right now. And, he, and from that regard, he he was operating. It's twenty nine and thirty seven for two hundred and sixty seven yards. But yeah. the offense just didn't do anything. They they had decent. They ran the ball well, but for whatever reason, those numbers they just they did absolutely nothing against that Houston defense. And the Houston defense lost. You know, I thought it was going to be a, J.J. Watt is a beast. I mean, I'm, I'd be afraid of that guy if I was a quarterback. I had, I would have flu-like symptoms. But then, you know, they get Brian Cushing back, their captain, and then Jadavian Clowney uh, is just a beast. But he got hurt. He came out of that game. He's going to miss some time, which is unfortunate. But I guess we can't let that two and fourteen record of Houston from last year uh, skew our thinking because that's a much better team than that. Uh, especially on defense. So Bill O'Brien's going to have some fun to work with and develop that Houston Texans team. Um, they're pretty darn good. Yeah, and if I'm uh, if I'm Jason Garrett, you know, with the Cowboys, uh, boy, that was a tough one uh, against your Niners. Uh, first, Colin oh. Kaepernick looked spectacular to me. Inside the pocket. He got outside the pocket. He wasn't as good. Inside the pocket, he looked just spectacular. What about the job that Vic Fangioni has done with that defense with all the missing parts alden smith and navarro bowman and uh, dealing with the ray mcdonald situation and dorsey you know spectacular jason garrett has got i'm not sure what he does because he's got a problem going forward his defense can't stop anybody and tony romo is just not right that that that's got to be job one he missed a number of things and and uh he just whether it's the back or whatever and the lack of playing time during the preseason but he is uh he's not right He's not right. We all know their defense is not right. That's that's a given. It's just common knowledge. You know they were a bad defense last year, and they lose their three top players. Demarcus Ware, you saw him with Denver last night, and Jason Hatcher and Sean Lee's out, and that's their three best players are gone. And then they uh, so so I think Tony and Jason Garrett have to know that they're going to be in some shootouts. Okay, they're going to give up some points and some yards. But Tony can't take chances trying to make plays that aren't there. And he did that last night. The three picks, my God. I mean, they weren't even close, I mean, to being open. And, and he's got he's to know that uh, you can't take chances, especially in the first, second quarter, to get yourself in a hole and check it down and run with it. It's okay to punt once in a while. But they, uh, they just weren't good on either side of the ball. And there were more 49ers fans in that stadium last night than Dallas fans had seen. My God, I don't know where all the red came from. Yeah. And, and you mentioned it, Brian, their defense with Vic Fangio, you know, they're missing six starters from that, from that team last year. Six. And they, uh, they still are pretty darn good. And not, not to mention two corners get hurt in the game. Tremaine Brock comes out. Chris Culliver comes out hurt. I don't know what their status is now. And they've already lost Carlos Rogers and Dante Whitner. And my God, they just keep swinging. And they're pretty, they're pretty deep. They've done a nice job of drafting over there and accumulating talent. But uh, 49ers are going to be heard from. Dallas is going to have a long year. And I don't, I don't know how to say it any more clear than that. Yeah, and Chicago, they, they got Chicago at home. Uh, the 49ers Chicago goes to San Francisco and, and Jay Cutler and that offensive group. And, you know, you just got to believe Jay Cutler's going to throw you some balls. And he just he does. He can't yeah. help himself. That that yeah. cost them the other day. Uh, let uh, One other team, uh, Mike Pettin, one of the new rookie head coaches with the Cleveland Browns, great, come come from behind, tied the Ooh. game, goes in overtime against Pittsburgh, and then losing. Can 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 we draw – I mean, boy, we've both been there. Can you Can you draw some positives from that for your team? For Cleveland, yes. 
yes. Um, they were down. They fought back. You know what's funny? We were sitting there watching, you know, and and then Hoyer and uh, the Browns aren't, aren't aren't doing very well, and they're getting pounded. And we knew there'd be a camera on Johnny Manziel on the sideline, right? Because he's the story. And I'm thinking, oh my God, they might make the switch at halftime. Wow! Because this is not going well for the Browns. Well, all of a sudden, Brian Hoyer and the boys. They come back and make this a game and tie it up, and I'm going, holy jeez, this is really something at at the Steelers, and Ben Roethlisberger's never lost at home. He, heck, he's 18-1 and one against the Browns right now. Um, but it was a, quite a second-half comeback. I think they found a couple of young running backs. It's Terrence Westkid from Townsend State at 100 yards and Isaiah Crowell, uh, a couple of touchdowns. So, you know what, all of a sudden I sit up and go, you know, this Browns team, they, they're going to mix it up a little bit here in this division. They're not, they're not awful. And, and uh, Brian Hoyer, you know what, he's going to try to hang on to that job as long as he can. And he did enough for me yesterday to say that he's still our starting quarterback. Yeah, but they got New Orleans and then, ba- and then Baltimore. So we're, we're going to see Manziel, right? I mean, well, that, that's... You know, I know it, and, 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 I, and I think when you look at the schedule, then a bye, right? And and you go, okay, that's probably enough time for Manziel to watch a quarterback go own three in front of him and then have a bye week to prepare. And then all of a sudden the fans in the dog pound become excited because they make a change. But I, I, And then I they go own six it. and it's okay. <laughs> now, now what do we do? It's going to be interesting. But you know what? My hat is off to the Browns for their, their gallant effort. I don't, want, I don't like moral victories, but you know what? They had a chance to win that game. Yeah, I you know, and and I understand. I, I said along all along that the conversation very easily might have gone with Mike Pettin that he went to Brian Hoyer and said, "I got good news, bad news. Good news is you're going to start. Bad news is we got Pittsburgh, New Orleans, and Baltimore. Yeah, you know, and as an organization going forward, they're going to have to go to Menzel. I'd have started Menzel from the beginning because I don't oh, really? know. I don't know that he's learning. Now I'll qualify it. He is extraordinarily young uh, and immature. But you you knew that when you took him with the twenty second pick, and has he learned anything watching Brian Hoyer in these three games? Will he? I I don't know. The sooner they can get, get in Manziel in and know if he's the guy, the better off they're going to be. I don't know that he's going to be a, a a good player. I don't know if he's learned anything from the bench. Uh, but and I understand why they did it. But I, I'd have started all those rookies. I'd have started. You know Dordas. what I you know what I think, Brian? Because I. I couple things with the starting rookie quarterbacks if if you're going to make that decision make it early and get the guy some training camp right. practice like andrew luck gotten and he was going to be with the ones and get them ready to play and start and play them but when it's a battle and you only get they don't get half no. because there's another guy that gets a little bit too he he got limited reps in the preseason and and uh, everything i think maybe 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 i'm wrong but i think flipping off the washington redskins added to the evaluation process Absolutely. and said to the coaches, maybe this guy's maturity level isn't quite ready yet. You know, and, and let's go with the other guy. I'd like to know that before I made him the 22nd pick. You know? I don't so. know. All right, uh, we we got to close this out. What's your number one takeaway from the weekend? Give me one. Oh, boy. Not, don't give me three. Uh, give you know, me one. Some of, the, some of the, the games and some of these teams that uh, – you know, like the Browns that we talked, like the Jags against the Eagles that that uh, really played well, especially in the first half. You know, they're they're not that far away. I was disappointed. I was disappointed in the Rams. I, I thought the in fact I picked the Rams to win. So I, they they uh, under impressed as far as I'm concerned. The Minnesota Vikings with Mike Zimmer really looked good. 
Um, so some of those things, first impressions, uh, you know, were, were a little bit skewed for me because I, I thought the Rams would be better. I, I thought the Jags and the Vikings would go slower, but they, they, uh, they played pretty well. Biggest win of the weekend for my money was, was uh, Cincinnati going into Baltimore. Hadn't won there yeah. since 2009. Andy Dalton, you know, brings them back in the way that he did. Uh, that that was a huge, substantial win. Not aside from the problems that maybe Baltimore may, may have, didn't look real good offensively. Joe Flacco looked a, a little out of sync as well. But and that call by Paul Gunther with that fourth and nine down on the twenty yard line to bring that corner blitz when he did against Joe Flacco, maybe the best coaching decision I've seen in a long time. Risk reward, you know, if it works, you're a hero. Yeah, yeah, we know, and we know what happens if it doesn't. So, well, that's it. That's it for week one's edition of the Coaches Show podcast. Thanks for listening, and go to the NFL.com slash podcast for more.